0: Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, chapter five. 1 John, chapter five. And we will pick up with verse uh, 10 today. As you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we, we just ask you to speak. To speak till your church is built and, and the earth is filled with your glory. We ask you again. Will you speak to our hearts? We need to hear not from any man. We need to hear from you. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and move us today to, to know ourselves, to know where we are before you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, I can, today, I can tell you your spiritual status. Anybody interested in that? (laughs) Not because I'm a a fortune teller or because I am a, a mind reader or certainly not a heart reader. But I can tell you at least you are in one of four categories. We've talked about this before. This is how we began this whole series in 1 John. Because this, it, that's, that is John's concern that, that people come to grips with where they are in Christ or outside of Christ. And so, some of you here today are saved and you know it. You're in a personal relationship with Christ. You're trusting in him alone for your eternal life. And you're confident in that. Some of you are not saved and you know that as well. And if you say, well, that's me. I want, to, I want to tell you I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're being honest with yourself before God. That is absolutely essential. And then some of you think you're saved but you're not. And some of you really are saved but you don't have any assurance of it. You, you struggle with that. You go back and forth. Am I saved? Am I not saved? So throughout this study of First John, and I dare say every study I have done, every book that I preach through, we emphasize what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What it is to trust in him alone for salvation. So if you're in category two, that you're not saved and you know it, that's where you need to begin. And in a sense, the the rest of this message is based upon whether or not you you first deal with that. But today I especially want to focus upon those of you that are, are here in this room, those of you that are are watching online that would be in category number four. You're saved but you struggle with assurance of your salvation. Now, let me tell you some of the ways that 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 can uh, come out. For you, it it may be that you actually have those moments where you, you stop in your tracks and you say, what if this isn't all true? What if... What if the, the stuff that I've said I believe, that, you know, there there isn't a God out there. Somebody just made this up for them to feel better, to try to make others feel better or worse. What if it's not true? For some of you, it, it may not be that blatant. But instead... Sometimes the way that lack of assurance can, can come out is to have an inordinate dread of death. Now I'm not talking about the moment of death or the process of, of death or the circumstances surrounding death. I don't know anyone that's looking forward to that. That is a hard part of life. But I see far too many that I believe are real believers that think that death is the worst thing that can happen to them or anyone else. It can mean that there's a disconnect between what you really believe and where you really are with God and that that fear that you have about death. And then for still others, there are, are those that, that just have a worried perspective about this life. A person who, who doesn't have an assurance of their salvation, who, who doesn't know that. That when their big day comes, when they, when they die, that they will then be with the Lord forever. A person that, that doesn't have that assurance can often get overwhelmed by the circumstances of this life. And especially the difficult circumstances of this life. For those who do have an assurance. They can they can come to the point where they say, yeah, this, this is really hard, what I'm going through or what we're going through, and yet I have peace with God, and that makes all the difference. Someone to say when it comes to assurance of salvation that, you know what, no one can really, know that they are saved. No one can absolutely know that. Well, John says, I beg to differ. In fact, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's saying, don't go around saying you can't know. You may not know, but you can know if you have eternal life. Our passage tells us that. That we can know if we are truly saved. That's one of the real issues. Now, some think that to... To say, well, yes, I know that I'm saved. I know what's going to happen when, when I die. Some would say, well, you know, that's, that's arrogant. That's arrogant for anyone to ever say that. You know what? If, if it were based on me being good or that person being good, if it was based on our works, then that would be arrogant to say, yeah, I'm good enough. But what we see in the scripture is that it is not, it is never based on how good we are. John Murray says, the facts are that the more intelligent, the deeper, and the more unwavering the assurance of salvation is. In other words, the stronger you really believe that, the humbler, the more stable, and the more circumspect will be the life, the walk, and the conduct. So it doesn't push people into arrogance. Instead, It keeps us humble before God because we realize it's not based on what I have done. Our assurance of salvation has a different foundation. And that's what I want us to look at today. We're going to be back to this passage. But but before we we talk more about what it says in 1 John, I want us to go back to really the foundation, and that is what. What does Jesus say? What does Paul say? So we go back, uh, and I'm going to go back to the Gospel of John. You can find this in other places, but especially in the Gospel of John. What what we see there is uh, we go through the life of Jesus, and uh, he would uh, do a miracle and the miracle wasn't just to impress people or so they'd go wow or you know do another miracle or anything like that he would follow up the miracle with teaching he had gotten their attention already he'd affirmed that he was one to be listened to that he had some kind of authority and then he would teach and more often than not especially in John the way it's recorded it would hark right back to the miracle that he had just done it would be connected in some way so for instance he he raises Lazarus from the dead and then he teaches i am the resurrection the life They had just seen a a resuscitation. And he said, I'm even something more. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he talked about believing. We see him feeding 5,000, and then a short time later, he said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, what does he say about our subject that we're talking about today? He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. (laughs) That's assurance. That's where it touches on our assurance of of salvation. Well, John doesn't stop there. He goes on. And this is John 6, verse 38. For he says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then he explains, what is that will? This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. You get it? You see what he's saying? He's explaining to them. He's saying... That assurance is based on the will of the Father and Jesus absolutely, perfectly obeyed the Father's will. He's saying, he is saying, it depends on, on my work, not yours. Martin Luther wrote these words. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It's He, Lord Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord, the Lord of armies, his name from age to age, the same, and he must win the battle. Amen. Luther's saying, Thank God. We'll hear about his struggles later, but he's saying, Thank God, it's not me that has to win this battle. Because The Lord of hosts has already won them. Then later in John, John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So here Jesus is talking about what we talked about last week. How we're called to salvation by Jesus. And then he says this. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So here's the good news. Your salvation, if you're in Christ today, it doesn't depend on how well you hold on to his hand. Because we're weak, we let go. Or we try to, and then he keeps holding on and there's no one that can snatch them out of the Father's hand, that means I can't even snatch myself out of the Father's hand. You get it? That's his emphasis. So do you see how, with these kinds of clear statements, how if we just say, well, I hope maybe someday, somehow, I might go to heaven. Do you see how... We're in danger of diminishing the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If we act like it's not a sure thing, if we trust in him alone. Jesus didn't want us to wonder whether we're saved or not. He wanted us to know. We read further in John. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it says that the the scripture is reading so that if you're an unbeliever you can believe, and if you're a believer, you can know you're saved. You can know you have eternal life. Let me give you just one example then. That's part of the foundation from Christ, of course. He is the foundation, and then all of the others uh, are on top of him. So from the Apostle Paul, we see that Paul was great at asking questions that people were either asking or they should have been asking, and then he would answer those questions. He asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, that's another way of saying, can we lose our salvation? If Christ loves us, If we believe in him, are we still in danger? And so he asks the question, who shall separate us? And then he speaks not of who, but he talks about a number of things. He says, uh, can trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? He's saying, can any of those things, and those are just representative. He's basically saying, is there anything out there that you can think of that could separate us. And then he declares, Romans 8, 38, I am sure that neither death nor life. Did you, I mean, of course there's that question is can you be separated from him at death? But he's saying, not only can death not separate you, (laughs) neither can life. Neither can the stuff you're going through. He says, uh, neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, nothing, nothing. Make a list of what you think might separate you. And he would say, No, 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 nothing. Paul didn't want believers to wonder whether they could lose their salvation or not. That's a trick of Satan. He loves to do that. He loves to take a child and say, You know what? That's not really your father, you're an orphan. How horrible would that be to, to do to a child in this life that's what Satan likes to do with children of the living God so now back to our letter in 1 John and we're gonna, I'm just going to bounce through on, uh, and hit several things because virtually the whole book is, uh, is about this But I've I've been giving you some tests for how you know whether you are a child of the living God or not. And I haven't really named them this way. This is a very common way of naming the three tests. Lots of commentators use this, so you'll see that out there. Uh, They talk about the doctrinal test, the social test, and the moral test. I've been describing them, but I haven't used those terms. Let me explain. 1 John 3, verse 2. This is the the doctrinal test. What do you believe? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. What do you believe about Jesus? It's a doctrinal test. First John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's the social test. Do you love the brothers? If you don't, he says, you're not a Christian. Because that's a characteristic of a, of a believer. So you can't, you can't say, well, but I said I believe, so I am a believer. He says, no, <laughs> here's an outward test you can do. If you don't love the brethren, the brothers and sisters, then you're not a part of the family. And then the moral test, 1 John 5, 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. There it is. You don't become a child of God by obeying his commandments. You obey the commandments because you are a child of God. That's the order. It's always got to be that order. Because you can't obey enough, well enough, perfect enough to become a child of God. That's just an evidence of having a new heart. So, back to our verse that we're focusing on, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these to you who believe, you believers. Not, I write this to you who are working real hard or who have tried to work hard. Not, I write this to you who are good enough. He says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Back to Martin Luther. When he was a a priest. He didn't yet understand. That it was about believing. He thought it was about what he could do to get to God. He didn't understand the gospel. He struggled mightily. He confessed his sin over and over and over. Constantly. Once he prayed for six weeks with almost no sleep, two to three hours every three or four days, eating almost nothing. He often stayed outside in the cold in Germany, sometimes without clothing, trying to purify his soul through suffering, Did it help him love God? Luther, did it help you love God? His answer was sometimes I hate God. That's where it'll drive you. If it depends on you and your, your goodness. He struggled until God revealed to him that salvation was by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what freedom, Understanding that it doesn't depend on our works. If salvation and assurance of salvation depends on our works, we can never know if we're saved and that's that's the difference a core difference between christianity and religion between christianity and virtually all the other world religions the other religions rely on working your way to god do a pilgrimage Give to the poor. Pray a certain number of times, facing a certain way. Become a martyr. But even with all of that in other religions, you can never know, according to them, you can never know if you really will be with God. You can't know until you die. And then it's too late. You can only hope. Our salvation depends on what Jesus already completed on the cross. He finished it. He paid the penalty for our sin so that if we trust in him alone for eternal life, it is ours forever and no one can snatch us away from him. Religion is spelled D-O, do. It's about what you do. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's our comfort. That's our source of confidence that can give us peaceful hearts in this life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that that you give us that comfort if we trust in Jesus. That we don't have to feel under pressure. We know that in Jesus, when we sin, there is mercy. When we sin, there is forgiveness. And that ultimately... Our great hope and confidence is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He finished his work, which was salvation for us, for his children. We rejoice in you, O Christ. Amen.